Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of The Warning Woods. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it five stars and writing a review. Reviews help spread the podcast to more listeners. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram and TikTok at The Warning Woods. I'm Miles Tridel, and this story is called 1015M. Dispatch, I'm 1015 with the suspect. Thank God, Yolanda muttered before pressing the talk button and responding, copy. 1015 is the police code for prisoner in custody. Yolanda had sent the young officer out after receiving a 911 call about a man wandering along a gravel road. It's not illegal to do that. But most who go for walks along the road do so with their clothes on, even in the country at night. The caller, probably a townie, had only been able to give a vague description of where they saw the man. Yolanda did her best to mold the information into a possible location, but she had her doubts as to whether the officer would be able to find him. Apparently, he had. Uh, dispatch, make that a 1015M, crackled the officer's voice. Copy that, Yolanda said, shaking her head. She chuckled a little for two reasons. The officer's use of a letter code was the first. This guy was fresh out of the academy and still stuck to his formal training as if his job depended on it. The seasoned officers had mostly dropped such codes and opted for plain English when transmitting messages. Their little department didn't have enough radio traffic to worry about stepping over one another with lengthier broadcasts. The second reason Yolanda laughed was the meaning of the M at the end of the code. It's a modifier that means mental case. In plain English, this guy is absolutely nuts. 652, do you need assistance? This voice came from the sergeant's radio. Negative, sir. I've got him in the back. En route to booking, the arresting officer said. Everyone else could hear a bizarre chanting faintly whispering behind his voice. It sounded like utter gibberish. Copy 652. If it's a mental case, let's redirect to St. Mary's for an eval before booking, the sergeant replied. Copy. Dispatch? Yolanda clicked the button again. Copy en route to St. Mary's. Did you hear that voice? Yolanda's partner, Levi, said as he swiveled around to face her. He was referring to the rhythmic whispering on 652's mic. Yep, she replied. Dude sounds like a real nutcase. My money's on meth, Levi said. Yolanda thought for a moment, considering all the options. Out in the boonies, officers came across meth on a shockingly regular basis. They were pretty good at identifying its users. I'd bet on something more psychedelic, she replied. Shrooms? asked Levi. Yolanda chuckled. Something like that. Levi returned to his virtual chess match and Yolanda brought up her game of solitaire. They passed the next ten minutes or so in silence while they awaited the next call. With their attention focused on their games, both dispatchers completely forgot about the crazy nude man in 652's car until the radio came to life again. 
698 from 652. The arresting officer called. Go ahead, 652, answered the sergeant. I'll take some assistance at St. Mary's. I might need a hand with this guy. 652's message was difficult to hear over the pulsating rhythm of the chanting. It had grown much louder and more forceful. Copy, 652. Be advised, we can barely hear you over that guy. Can you make him stop talking? Asked the sergeant. Yolanda exchanged a look with Levi. They both rolled their eyes. Copy. Uh, sir, my prisoner isn't talking. The airwaves were silent for a long moment. Now the two dispatchers exchanged looks of confusion. That's definitely another voice in his radio, right? Asked Yolanda. Levi answered. I mean, as far as I can tell. Yolanda turned back to her screen and pressed the talk button. 652, we're getting some kind of interference from your radio. Sounds like another male voice, over. After a pause, the officer replied. Copy that, dispatch. Now there was a third voice. The prisoner was laughing. Wait, who's... Levi started to wonder aloud. He was interrupted by the squawk of the radio. 652's voice was so loud it distorted his mic, but the other voice in the car still made his message impossible to understand. Dispatch. Vehicle. Need. Was all the dispatchers could make out. The sergeant requested 652 repeat himself, but received no response. In case the distressed officer could still hear him, he promised help was heading his way. Dispatch, are you able to see his location? Asked the sergeant. Yolanda clicked an icon on her dashboard and a map of the county materialized on her screen. Blue dots representing each officer's vehicle freckled the roads. 652's dot had stopped, but not near St. Mary's, or any other building for that matter. 698, Yolanda called out. Go ahead. His vehicle stopped on Y Avenue. Copy. The sergeant replied. Yolanda heard his siren begin to whine before the transmission ended. When the sergeant pulled onto Y Avenue, lights flashing and sirens blaring, he immediately located 652's car. The officer had somehow driven it through the ditch, bringing it up the steep grade on the other side. The car now rested on one side, teetering above the ditch. To the sergeant's relief, his officer was still alive inside. He'd been battered around as the car lurched through the ditch and came to rest, but he didn't sustain any life-threatening injuries. Unfortunately, his prisoner had vanished. With the fire department's aid, 652 was pulled from his vehicle and taken to St. Mary's, ironically still making it to his intended destination. Before the car was towed away, the sergeant reached in and pulled the memory card from its onboard recording system. Officers were required to record video and audio from inside the vehicle whenever they transported prisoners for liability. The sergeant said a little prayer that the recorder had functioned better than 652's radio had during the mysterious incident. Could you pull up the last recording from this? He asked Yolanda back at the PD. She stared at the memory card he handed her with apprehension. Is this? Yes. Well, she said, mulling her thoughts over once more before voicing them. He's gonna be okay, right? No harm in seeing what happened. The sergeant placed a hand on her shoulder and said, you don't have to stay in here if you don't want to. He knew Yolanda pretty well after 13 years of working together. She had a caring soul. His sergeant before him had said he didn't think the sensitive young woman would last as a 911 dispatcher, but she had proved him wrong again and again. Her empathetic nature, although something she had to suppress at times, gave her an edge appreciated by both her co-workers and callers. 
Yolanda decided she wanted to stay and pulled up the video file. It started with a blurry, overexposed image of 652's palm, as most of the videos always did. The recording switch was right by the camera's lens. 652, do you need assistance? The sergeant heard his own voice on the recording. Negative, sir. I've got him in the back, en route to booking. They got their first look at the arrested man. The first thought his appearance brought to Yolanda's mind was, he looks like Charlie Manson. He had long, dark, and matted hair. A wispy beard clung to his chin like a patch of moss on a brick wall. All of his hair looked like it would fall off with a light tug. His grimy face seemed pinched at the middle. It made him look sour and hateful. But strangely, his wiry mouth was twisted into a shape Yolanda guessed was supposed to be a smile. The sergeant interrupted Yolanda's observations. Do you hear that? Hmm. Turn it up, he instructed. With the volume a little louder, they could hear it. The soft chanting that came through the radio during the incident. It had barely been caught by the recorder and didn't seem to catch 652's attention at all. In the video, he stared straight ahead as the rhythmic voice whispered around him. Stranger still, the prisoner sat still with his sick grin unparted. Unless he possessed some masterful talent for ventriloquism, he was not the one chanting. 652 confirmed the man's silence in the video as the watchers heard a familiar exchange. Copy, 652. Be advised, we can barely hear you over that guy. Can you make him stop talking? Copy, uh, sir, my prisoner isn't talking. What in the world? He really wasn't talking, the sergeant said in the present. In the video, Yolanda's voice livened the radio, saying, 652, we're getting some kind of interference from your radio. Sounds like a male voice, over. At this news, the man in the back seat began to cackle like a maniac. Whatever he thought the mysterious voice meant, it brought him joy and excitement. He began to bounce up and down on the plastic seat. The chain on his cuffs rattled in celebration. Copy that dispatch, 652 said before turning around to speak to his prisoner. Would you be quiet back there? Why, officer? It won't save you. Nothing will save you now, the man replied. His voice was clown-like, gravelly, and full of seething aggression. 652 rolled his eyes and shook his head before a confused look came over his face. In the video, he could be seen staring at his hands, or maybe the steering wheel. He jerked the wheel, but no, that's not right. He was trying to keep the wheel straight. It seemed like an invisible hand had gripped the wheel and was trying to twist it out of the officer's hands. The camera started to shake as the car made stiff, abrupt movements. Dispatch, there's something wrong with my vehicle. I need to pull off the road, he shouted into the mic. That had been the last transmission dispatch received, the broken message that prompted the sergeant to request 652's location earlier. The disembodied chant continued. The sergeant and Yolanda watched in urgent silence as 652 continued to struggle with the steering wheel, eventually losing the battle. The wheel, seemingly moving on its own, twisted sharply and broke free from his hands. 652's body slammed against his door as the car took a sharp right turn. He got bounced around as the car went through the ditch and the video became momentarily garbled. It stabilized as the car came to rest on its side. Everything inside the vehicle remained still for a moment. The chanting had ceased. Now there was an injured grunt and some rustling before the prisoner came into view. 
he appeared on camera with blood dripping from his nose. It looked broken, unlike his smile. Grinning eerily, the man wiped a hand across his bloody face and wiped the maroon liquid across the plexiglass divider in front of him. Yolanda gasped as the man then pressed the tip of his tongue into the bloody smear. With one grotesque movement, he licked a circle into the blood. After pausing a moment to swallow gratuitously, he traced a five-pointed star inside the circle, again with his tongue. A pentagram. He smiled directly into the camera, and even though the recording was over an hour old, Yolanda felt as if the man was staring directly into her eyes in the present. She felt unsafe, vulnerable. In the video, there was a distinct clicking sound, a door latch. The man raised one hand, slowly opening and closing his fingers in a sarcastic farewell wave. Then, he climbed out of the vehicle and out of sight. The camera remained focused on 652's unconscious body as sirens slowly filled the audio. The video ended a few minutes later as a hand covered the lens again, but this time it was the sergeant's. 652 made a full recovery and returned to work, but only for a few days. The first time he made an arrest after the incident, he clammed up while putting the prisoner in his car. Another officer had come to take over, and 652 resigned on the spot. Yolanda didn't have any professional issues after the incident, but at night, she could barely sleep. Haunting images of the man's grin and his cold, piercing gaze filled her dreams. She had nightmares splattered with bloody pentagrams. She thought they would fade with time, but they continued to intensify. She had spoken with therapists and priests, and finds occasional relief, but the visions always return. The sergeant appears unaffected on the surface, but he bears an unhealthy obsession with finding the mysterious prisoner. The man could not be identified by anyone who the video was shown to. Part of it was even released to the public, but to no avail. The man remains in the wild to this day. There's no telling where he is or what he's up to. When the department released the video segment, it came with a warning. If you see this man, do not approach. He is dangerous. When interviewed, the sergeant added his own words to the warning. This man, he said, if he's a man at all, is pure evil. You can support The Warning Woods by clicking the Anchor Support link in the description, or by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. Of course, the best way to help is by writing a review and following this podcast in Apple Podcasts or subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine. 
coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.